Good evening. I'm Kenz. And I'm Alexis. Welcome to Spectral. So we are happy to be back for another episode, um, and we got the best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia today. That's true. We did. Uh, if you don't know, it's Del Sandro's. Also Angelo's, though. Depends. Okay, fine. But we got Del Sandro's today, and it was absolutely amazing. So Alexis, do you want to talk about what happened on the drive to Del Sandro's? Uh... No, but I feel like I don't have a choice. <laughs> so, Alexis was driving, and... And I was killing it, might I add. Okay. <laughs> and uh, she had some road rage towards the car in front of us. As one does. It was a Mitsubishi, so... <laughs> well, uh, part of her road rage came from the fact that they were stopping at what she believed to be an empty crosswalk. Yeah, extremely empty-seeming. And after she cursed out the car in front of us, they didn't know. It was, it was a private cursing out. like in <laughs> Private our, session. Yeah, it was a private session in the car only. But um, after she finished cursing them out, Alexis, what did you see at the crosswalk? I saw someone of a shorter height going to cross the, the street. After I yelled, why are you acting like there's somebody waiting to cross the street? Um, and by shorter man, she politely means a man in a motorized wheelchair who was waiting patiently to use the crosswalk that Alexis um, berated the car in front of us for stopping. And in my defense, I couldn't see them because Mackenzie's giant head was in the way. All right. Um, so now that we've shared with you um, what we had for dinner. Lunch. Late lunch, early dinner. Well, I thought it would be exciting, since we now have some international listeners, that we are going to now start telling some international stories, and today will be our first one, and uh, it's about an alien abduction. I hate aliens. So this will be the first of many international tales and alien encounters, but this account really stood out because it involves an entire family claiming to be abducted. That could be us. I mean, it's in a family of five. That's us. You know what? Sure. Okay. I'm going to switch things around a bit and end our episode with the most recent updates surrounding extraterrestrials and UFOs as given out by the U.S. government, because what has been released in the past few years is absolutely wild. We love variety. So this story is fairly well known in England, and for many, it's why they believe in extraterrestrial life. But as always, many people are skeptical, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts at the end. So our story surrounds the Day family. And I'm going to start with a disclaimer that there are some discrepancies depending on what source you look at surrounding this case. I use my best judgment in weeding out the sources, but if you look into this, you may find some differing details. But essentially, the gist of the story is the same. I trust you and only you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you are my main source. Well, the source I used was a book called Alien Encounters by Stuart Webb. He was my main source, and then I kind of informed with um, some other online resources. 
Uh, but yes, so there are some adaptations out there. So just, you know, know that going in. So the abduction story begins on October 27th, 1974, with John and Sue Day driving back home to Essex after spending the day at Sue's parents' house in Harold Hill. Do you know Harold Hill? Yeah, do you know where that is? No, of course not. It's on the outskirts of London, so I don't hmm. know exactly how the zones work, Was maybe like, but it's literally right on the border of London and... Do you know what zone it's in? No, I just... Oh. I don't know how I the zones you, work. Uh, yeah, okay, well, there's six zones that go out, so it's probably zone four to six. Yeah, it's, like, if you look at, on the map, where Harold Hill is, it's right on the border of what's still considered London. I just love the name, Harold Hill, Harry Hill, let's go. Yeah. So they were driving back from there, and the couple had their three children in the back seat as they started their typical 30-ish minute drive home. Sue Day later explained that they specifically left her parents' home early enough to get home in time to watch a TV program that aired at 9 p.m. As they were on their drive home, they noticed a bright, oval, bluish light following them as they drove. Then out of nowhere, it just disappeared. That part sounds like good news, that it disappeared. Yeah, and then shortly after, they were coming around a bend when their car became engulfed in green mist... And their radio began to buzz, eventually turning into loud static. So the aliens juked them out and also made them think that they were driving into Shrek Swamp like 30 years early. Oh, the green mist. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I don't get the correlation, but yeah, I green, Shrek, ogre. Yeah. Green. So some claims in the story is that an actual craft landed in the field next to them and then this mist happened. But the main source that I found explained it as they were still driving, going around a bend, and then this mist kind of came out of nowhere as they turned. Um, as their radio was kind of acting weird and staticky, John Day started to fear that it was going to short circuit, so he quickly disconnected the radio, and I'm guessing it was very easy and quick to do then. The, the, yeah, I mean, 70s stuff, I don't know. Yeah, I'm like, I have no idea, but apparently he was able to like pretty quickly disconnect it. Get it, John. Disconnect that. Day claimed he then felt a small bump as if he hit or drove over something, and then they exited the mist and continued their drive home. This man's hit an animal. Yeah, but he was just like, okay, whatever, there's a weird mist. Maybe we hit something. They just kept driving home. Upon arriving home, Sue took the kids inside to get ready for bed, while John reconnected and fussed with the radio to make sure there wasn't actually a short or any serious problems next time they got in the car. The kids went off to bed and Sue went to turn on the program she'd been looking forward to watching, but her TV was just static. Confused as to why she couldn't get a signal, she looked over at their clock and was shocked to see it was almost midnight. That's some poltergeist shit, though. What do you mean? The static? Just static? So yes, that is very similar to poltergeist activity. But I think the reason that that was confusing for her is because, I don't know if it was still going on in the mid-70s, but I know that if, basically, uh, TV stopped broadcasting after a certain time. Like, it used to stop broadcasting at, like, 10 p.m. What if you work nights? You're listening to the radio, I guess. You're just out of luck. What if... You're shit out of luck. I just know that, I don't know if it was still like this in the early 70s here in the U.S., that TV just stopped at a certain time. That's wild. So she was confused as to why. She's like, you know, it's 9 p.m. My show is supposed to be on. Why is there all this static? And so she looked at the clock. 
realized it was right around midnight, was confused because their 30-minute drive had taken them an extra three hours and couldn't explain the lapse in time, but ended up just shrugging it off. That's until the nightmare started. Oh, God. How do you just shrug off missing three hours? I know, but I guess if you have no way to explain it, what are you going to do? You know? Think about it forever and never go to sleep again. Well, that kind of happened against (laughs) their will. (laughs) So the whole family started having the same terrifying nightmares every night for weeks on end. To the point where it was starting to affect their health because they just weren't getting any sleep. These nightmares included a creature with cat-like eyes. Kids were terrified all the time. John wasn't sure what to do, but he figured he should go to a doctor. This is another weird thing. I'm just gonna, I like was trying to figure out where to fit this in and it doesn't fit in anywhere, but I wanted to share this little detail. So in the story, they also claim that out of nowhere, John and Sue became very passionate about environmental issues, which they never cared about before. That seems like some alien shit. That seems like why they would come here yeah. and abduct us. And yeah, that makes sense. Like, they would abduct you, abduct you and just, like, fill your brain yeah. with worry like, about the environment. Hey, um, don't murder this planet. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be much worse in exactly 49 years. Yes. So, yeah, that was it was kind of weird, but they're also saying, like, they had almost, like, an obsessive feeling about environmental issues they never even remotely cared about before. That's wild. And stressful. Yeah. So anyway, John, unsure of what to do next, while him and his family were plagued with these nightmares, he went to his family doctor, who then referred him to Dr. Leonard Wilder, who specialized in trauma and sleep problems. Dr. Wilder believes something traumatic must have happened to them during their drive home and that their memories must have blocked it out. He suggested hypnosis for John and Sue, who reluctantly agreed Though they would keep their kids out of it. I was going to suggest hypnosis. Me and Dr. Wilder are bros. You're bro. You have the same thoughts. We do. While under hypnosis, Dr. Wilder supposedly conditioned them to only tell the true events of that night. They independently, so they had them separated and hip, you know, hypnotized them. And while separated, told nearly identical stories about what happened that night. They claimed when their car entered the green mist, their radio went haywire, but then the car's engine misfired and then died entirely. Like, it wouldn't turn over. That's totally normal, yeah. Out of the mist walked a group of beings in tight-fitting silver suits. They were all at least six feet tall and looked mostly human, except for their penetrating cat-like eyes. Kind of sounds... hot? I mean... Kind of sounds attractive, <laughs> maybe. Just say tall, cat-like features. I'm not seeing a problem. Not cat-like, mostly just cat-like eyes. eyes. Eyes, cat-like eyes are nice. But the eyes were supposed to, like, they were a little too intense. And they were the eyes that kept reoccurring in their dreams, their nightmares. Just the rest of it sounds like the Fantastic Four, honestly. Okay, I am going to tell you the alternate version of what they looked like was that they had pink eyes and no eyelids pink eyes no eyelids 
but still hot or not hot? Not hot. No. Not still hot. six feet though. Six feet tall. Still. At least. <laughs> <laughs> She's contemplating. I am. I'll get back to you. Okay. So they next remember being in a metal sterile environment, and essentially poked and probed. Where? Where were they poked and probed? Yeah. Or, like where on their bodies? Or like were their minds probed? So they did say that they felt like they under so they understood the aliens. Okay. Like in Pocahontas. Yeah, but instead of Grandmother Willow casting her magic, it was that they could communicate with them telepathically. I don't like that. Kinda like in the Black Eyed Children. Watch that episode if you haven't. Watch it. What Watch the podcast. Say? Because you're happy. Listen to that episode if you haven't. Because you wish this was live. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make sense. Not live. But if you remember, like, the black-eyed children, they could communicate telepathically, which is why one of the theories is that they were actually aliens. Yeah. But they said, yeah, they can communicate telepathically. So Susan Day ended up saying that she remembers much smaller beings. Porn. Is Susie tall? N- no, like, while she was, like, laying down on, oh, like, a metal okay. table. These much smaller beings came around and poured a mauve liquid on her. It's a very specific color. It is. It, right? I was like, okay, a mauve liquid. And then they started, like, testing reflexes and sticking her with needles and things. And when she started to panic, she said, like, one of the taller beings with cat-like eyes came over put his hand on her forehead and then everything blacked out so almost like a free physical that you didn't ask for or want where you're covered in mauve liquid yeah <laughs> so then they both just remember kind of coming to driving home again and dr weiler believed that they were telling the truth i believe that they were telling the truth and sharing true events and they had um, British UFO investigator Barry King. Ooh. I feel like with that name, you have to either run a pawn shop or be a UFO investigator. Or be a news host. Because Larry King rhymes with Barry King. You know what? That's true. Like a late night talk show host. What if they were actually the same person? Wow. What was Larry no King one. doing in the 70s? That's true. R.I.P. So yeah, Barry King believed they had an authentic experience with aliens Specifically, an experience of the third kind. I'm with Barry on this one. Barry's got it on the nose. Yeah, which if you don't know, the third kind is when you are actually abducted. Right? What? I don't What's the fourth kind? I don't know. When they take you. We, we've seen the movie. Yeah, fuck that movie. That <laughs> movie is a hoax. Don't watch that movie. I mean, it's Watch it. It's so movie. scary. That whole found footage thing is fake, though. Just for anybody that didn't know. Like, I didn't know six months ago i know i didn't know till college yeah i was like why are we not more concerned about this it's (laughs) It's because none of it was real yeah yeah that like the first second third fourth kind like that's real stages if you study aliens what's the first kind i believe it's it's like seeing a ufo second is like contact that's not like them taking you to their ship so a direct sighting of an alien Mm -hmm. or them coming to you at night, but not taking you from your room. Third is abduction. And then fourth, I think they take you. Fourth is going all the way. That's how it is. That's like the basis. <laughs> that's, I, that's how it is in the movie. Okay. Is fourth is when you're 
abducted permanently. You know, I never knew or questioned why that movie was called The Fourth Kind. They that do explain so it. Sense. They do explain it. Okay, well, it was too scary to know the details, so. Yeah, so then they kind of faded into the background. There's not, they didn't, you know, like, make a movie or write a book about their experience or anything. So what are your thoughts on it? I believe them. I'm here for it. I believe it, too, because I think the fact that they were kind of just going to brush it off yeah, and didn't really go seeking for the attention, I think that gives some credibility to their story. Also, it's so detailed, but not unbelievable, too. Yeah. There's a similar story that also happened in England in the 1970s. It's the Mann family. They also had, like, a family abduction. There's is very detailed, seems a bit more far-fetched, but there are similar elements. They also claim, like, silver suits. Similar experience-ish. They were, like, put back on the road, driving the wrong direction. So if you're interested in exploring this more, I would look up the man case. Man family case. Man with two ends. Man in a case. So obviously researching abduction stories led me down a path of how do we validate these kinds of, you know, claims and stories, what already exists. And Harvard actually did an experiment. They wanted to basically see if the memories of people that claim to be abducted by aliens would evoke a response similar to those that have gone through verifiable trauma. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Richard McNally, he's a professor of psychology at Harvard, he recruited 10 individuals, it was six women and four men, who claimed to have been abducted by aliens, some more than once. Their claims ranged from kind of blurry memories to more explicit sexual contact with aliens, that kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. And each of these, you know, 10... People were interviewed by either McNally himself or Susan Clancy, who's also a professor of psychology. And what they did is they wrote a script. They took their statement, you know, and they then recorded each statement in a neutral voice. I'm assuming the professors did it. It doesn't say who did it, but a research team did it. But they made audio tapes of each story read in a, in a neutral tone no kind of inflection, anything like that, and then played that audio tape back for the person who made the initial claim and then watched their stress reaction. So almost like a lie detector test in terms of they measured their breathing, their sweating, heart rate, that kind of thing. Well, you would really be sweating. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, and they found that eight out of the 10 people actually had symptoms so severe that they would be diagnosed with PTSD. Wow. And all 10 of them had, uh, like, symptoms that were either as great or greater than the control group they had of people that had gone through actual verifiable trauma. And were most of them were diagnosed with PTSD. So, like, combat veterans, sexual abuse survivors. I think some of them sur- uh, said survived, like, horrific natural disaster tragedies. But people that had verifiable trauma, the abductees had the same or greater level of a stress response 
when hearing their own story read back to them. Some even cried. So this quote is McNally kind of summarizing his findings from the study for the American Association for the Advancement of Science in Denver. The results underscore the power of emotional belief, he noted. People who sincerely believe they have been abducted by aliens show patterns of emotional and psychological response to these memories that are strikingly similar to those of people who have been genuinely traumatized by combat or similar events. So basically they said that whether or not they, as psychologists, believe that these people were actually abducted, their responses demonstrate that these people very much believe that they were actually abducted. That's crazy, because the body kind of just remembers all trauma. So unlocking that is just a lot. Yeah, it's it's super interesting. And I mean, you know, McNally goes on to say that him and Susan Clancy work together, that they don't actually believe that any of these people had been abducted and that it was a combination of hallucinations and like night terrors, but that it was compelling to find like how real this experience was for these people. Yeah. Um, And I think that gives a lot of credit and honestly makes me have more empathy, I think, for people that are, you know, claiming to be abducted because whether or not it's real for, you know, at least the people in the study, it feels very real. Yeah. And it's a real trauma, which is scary. It is. Yeah. Yeah, so I found all of that just super fascinating. Yeah. All right, so now let's go on to what's been happening in the U.S. in the past couple of years because... Aliens. Yeah, aliens. <laughs> but we've had a lot of really cool information come out. So kind of throughout the 2010s, many different European governments started releasing previously classified information. It was kind of the same here in the U.S. We got the release of the FBI vault in 2011. We were a little too young. We were... Six. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But we were in high school, so we were kind of probably blind to what was going on. We got the release of the FBI vault 2011 that kicked off waves of UFO and related topics periodically becoming declassified. Notoriously is the Roswell, New Mexico files that were declassified in that vault. Yeah, that's an episode all on its own. I was going to say, and we will be doing an episode in the future about Roswell, because it's super fascinating. Maybe we should just go to Roswell. Maybe we should. And see if we can meet a hot alien. No. Okay. Ew. You were down for the count no. to that part, huh? Yeah, no, I don't, you don't want, want to. You don't want to get probed. I, I don't. Absolutely not. Um, well, so, yeah, we kind of, we had that 2011. There are some kind of straight things here and there. But then, I don't know if you remember, the world was kind of in crisis because it was the summer of 2020. Yeah, I do recall. Yeah, but between then and this past summer, our government has been much more direct in addressing extraterrestrial activity. So first in 2020, we had the release of three videos by the Pentagon. Yeah, they dropped those quietly. They knew. Yeah. (laughs) That was the time. They were like, this is the time while the world is in chaos. But the clips that the Pentagon dropped showed unidentified aircrafts captured by pilots or members of the Navy. The footage was captured by pilots, not... (laughs) They didn't capture the aircrafts. Um, If you watch kind of the notorious one, because these videos were leaked 
ahead of time. Yeah. And then the Pentagon kind of came out and confirmed them. But if you watch, the aircraft's moving at much faster speeds than our own aircrafts are capable of and was flying at odd angles. I pulled this quote from a CNN article summarizing the Pentagon release. In 2017, one of the pilots who saw one of the unidentified objects back in 2004, which is when this video is from, told CNN that it moved in ways he couldn't explain. As I got close to it, it rapidly accelerated to the south and disappeared in less than two seconds, said retired U.S. Navy pilot David Fravor. This was extremely abrupt, almost like a ping pong ball bouncing off a wall. It would hit and go the other way. And so you can see what the pilot is talking about if you look up the videos that were included in the 2020 release. And the Pentagon confirmed the videos were authentic and the flying object in the video has yet to align with any flying aircraft that they are aware of. So they say publicly. That's that's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then a few months ago, we got what Congress dropped. So it was, I think, July... Of this past summer. Leo season. And cancer season. Thank you. Definitely the most important aspect of it. Thank you. Yep. So a Congress subcommittee held a hearing to talk about why there isn't an official process or government database to record UFO or the new term is UAP. So UAP used to mean unidentified aerial phenomena. Now means alien. No. Okay. Well, it now is unidentified anomalous phenomena. They missed an opportunity to just make it alien, but okay. Well, they use the word anomalous because that explains things that we see in the air that are unidentified and in the ocean. I hate everything about that. Yeah. I don't even want to think about the ocean and all the things that it has. Yeah. So it means like any unidi- unidentifiable like ocean crafts, sub- submarine type things. Megalodons. No, 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 not animals. <laughs> not animals. <laughs> Just crafts of some sort. Vehicles. Fine. Not megalodons, but I hate that. Yeah, sorry. So basically what this hearing, what came from it, was three former military officials claimed the government knows much more about UAPs than it is sharing with the public. Agree. That's a fair point. Yeah. Basically, there's a whistleblower who he came forward for the past. So he's been in the military for 40 years. He's retired now, but he served for 40 years. Um, And he claims that the U.S. has been reverse engineering technology that they found from UAPs. Okay. To try to understand it. In one of the crafts that they found, there was a body of... An alien. Yep, I guess. Yeah. And that the military, it's kind of something that everyone talks about. Hush, hush. But so many, especially Navy and Air Force members. Navy seems to be the big one. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess if you're stranded on a boat in the middle of nowhere, like what else are you going to do but look up? Yeah. You know, like... Look down. Yeah, like, you're going to pay a little more attention to the sky, but the amount of sightings is, like, astronomical. And they basically... This hearing was held because they want to push for a way for our government, especially our military members, to be able to report what they see without judgment, and then we can have 
at least a semi-public database, <laughs> a semi-public <laughs> database that kind of records what's going on. Because right now we don't have one that's accessible. Yeah, and I feel like even if all of those other things that the whistleblower said, even if that wasn't true, we should still have the database. Yeah, and like, I mean, there is there is much more in terms of there is, you know, um, claims that funds were being mismanaged because they were actually funding a secret program, essentially. Sounds, yeah. I that is it looking into UAPs and extraterrestrial life and all this stuff, but that it's so classified that, you know, members of Congress don't know about it. I mean, obviously, every member is not going to know, but these whistleblowers believe that many more people should be involved kind of in what's going on. Yeah. And, I mean, it's super interesting. Like, it's interesting to think about. I think it'd be a hard balance to strike because as much as I love being inquisitive and learning as much as I can, that also would freak me out if they found out some, like, very scary stuff. What kind of ignorance is bliss? Is it, though, when aliens could kill us all? That's true. I mean, I kind of... I mean, do you think that aliens are here like whenever they make contact with you know people or are just observing do you think it is for like a or like are watching us for malicious reasons i think that aliens view us the way that we view like ants you know what i was not gonna say ants but ants is a good that's a good comparison i i believe the ant theory so i could tell you what that is but that's a good one i was gonna say um like building an aquarium you know, okay. like they want to collect, study, learn from, but it's all in, it's all for like everyone's best interest, even though it doesn't always seem like that. Yeah. But do you think they believe we're inferior? Yeah, because we definitely are. If, <laughs> if they know yeah. that we exist and they visit us, but we are still as a society on the fence about them existing yeah, and have, I mean, not enough proof for us all to agree on it then I would say that they're at least superior in that way. Yeah. So, like, kind of similar. So the ant theory is essentially that two aliens or extraterrestrial beings, whatever, that we are so <laughs> underdeveloped as a species and as a planet that they pay attention to us kind of the same way that we would pay attention to ants. Or, like... Um, you know, maybe I feel like maybe a better comparison would be like lab rats, kind of. Um, fun fact: as a child, I would destroy any ant hill I saw just because the power was intoxicating. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, she just dropped that little piece of hot goss on here. Um, so, an alien doing that? I am not surprised in any way. Well, I'm glad you're not an alien because you would just be murdering. All, all cities. <laughs> but, okay. Mm-hmm, yeah. All right. I don't do it anymore. I stopped at, like, 10, probably. That's good. When, I when you developed a conscious and yeah. empathy. Maybe younger than 10. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, yeah, basically the theory is that they look at us kind of like lab rats. And that, like, they know we have some intelligence. Yeah. And they might be like, oh, my God, they're so smart for being, you know, so inferior. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you have to think about how much... We've developed, there's a term for it, but how much we've developed um, in the last, like, 100 years versus 
the 500 years before that, yeah. technology has come leaps and bounds in the last couple decades. Yeah. So it makes sense that we would start seeing and hearing more of these things now. Yeah. I mean, I hope they're saying too, I know at the hearing that another development that's kind of forced this to come into the light much more is that everyone has smartphones now. Yeah. Like you can have, you know, the triple lens iPhone. Don't, don't Isn't there like Androids that have like five lenses? Yeah. But um, but the whole point is that now we all have ways to capture proof in our pockets. That's true. And we just can't keep denying it. So, yeah, I, as I learn more, like research more about aliens, I'm convinced that they're real. And like, I don't think these are just episodes of mass hysteria. Yeah, definitely not. But we're going to continue to do more alien cases in the future um we're gonna explore a lot of new england because that's a big hot spot the harvard research study actually took place in manchester new hampshire checks out yeah not that far yeah so we'll do a lot in new england obviously there's a lot in the southwest and we'll look into some famous cases yeah aliens if you're listening please leave us alone we don't have anything interesting to say to you guys that you couldn't hear from someone that would maybe want to be abducted um aliens actually can you sponsor us thanks you know what i would take a galactic sponsorship <laughs> yeah free trips to the moon <laughs> hell yeah yeah um so i mean with that do you want to sign us off alexis yeah i'll do my first one okay is everybody ready we're ready good night sleep tight don't get fucking probed tonight bam Boom. Please don't ever probe me. <laughs> I had to put that in there. Bye. We're gonna get sued, so. For what? Doodering? Oh. Bye.